This is the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the inside track on Liverpool FC's next opponents. Hello and welcome to the latest Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel. After Liverpool looked much more like themselves on Wednesday night, making it back-to-back victories in the Premier League, the Reds are now gearing up for the visit of Sean Dyche's Burnley at Anfield this afternoon. A rare 3pm kickoff on a Saturday for Jurgen Klopp's side. And to look ahead to the game, I'm delighted to have on the line with me Johnny Bentley, a sports yep. journalist, broadcaster, commentator and Burnley supporter. Johnny, welcome to Blood Red. Oh, thanks, Matt. I'm, I'm blushing actually at that description. Um, yeah, it's uh, you know, I'm, 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 I mean, it's a it's a role reversal. I interviewed you last week. You interviewed me this week. Looking forward to it. Yeah, very much so. And I suppose we will better get started then, and, and we can start with sort of you know the the, the Liverpool title win. Your reflections mm-hmm. on that? I mean, you're a, a neutral-ish supporter who I, I suppose <laughs> doesn't have strong feelings either way on on Liverpool. No. I suspect so. Yeah, first of all, I mean, what what did you make of it? Well, yeah, I think it was a, a you know a remarkable uh, achievement for Liverpool, something that's been a long time coming, uh, certainly for many of the supporters, yourself included. Um, I feel like um, they were pushed to the performances and to the standard that they have uh, achieved this season uh, as a result of Manchester City's incredible rise under Pep Guardiola. Uh, I do feel that because Manchester City won the title two times in a row, that perhaps their own um, enthusiasm, desire uh, to achieve such a high barometer for a third successive season, I feel like that was... um, uh, 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 that was affected slightly because of the two t- two title wins, um, and I feel like that benefited Liverpool. However, you know t- uh, that sounds like I'm I'm, I'm excusing uh, the fact that you know Manchester couldn't do it this time. The fact they couldn't do it this time was because Liverpool were outstanding and they did uh, keep that high barometer. They kept the high level of performance um, and thoroughly deserved. You know, I mean, we we talk about how Manchester City won the league with playing some amazing, beautiful football. Well, so did Liverpool in a way, just not a slightly different style maybe to to Pep Guardiola's style, which is very much total football first and foremost and playing in such a uh, gorgeous way. But, you know, sometimes with Liverpool, you know, when you go back through some of the games uh, over the course of the season, there's been some narrow, quite a lot of narrow 2-1-1-0 wins and and that sort of reflects, you know, Jurgen Klopp's steeliness and the professionalism within the squad to get the job done. Okay, it might not have been as, as sexy as Manchester City have done it in the past, but you know, it was a, it's it's just been just as efficient, just as effective, and you know they thoroughly deserve uh, to be celebrating. Um, you know, at this point in the season. Yeah, you you mentioned before that you interviewed me last week, and if any listeners mm. would like to go and, and listen to that, it's the uh, please do transfer yeah. market <laughs> central. I believe it is the transfer news central, Matt. Transfer news central. Oh, there yeah. we are. Um, That's it. Yes. channel. And you can uh, find all of the, the details on that on my Twitter account. I, I tweeted that out uh, just a, a couple of days ago. But, I mean, one of the, the topics that we discussed on, on that podcast was Mohamed Salah uh, and the golden boot and, and sort of season that he has had. And, I mean, is he maybe one of the, the players that you would fear most as a Burnley fan heading into this match at the, at the weekend? Uh, well, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of players to fear in the Liverpool side. If Mohamed Salah's not scoring goals, it's Sadio Mane. If Sadio Mane's not scoring goals, it's probably Roberto Firmino chipping in, even though he's not quite had a good a season, particularly at Anfield, actually. I don't, you know, I don't think he's actually scored at Anfield this season, correct me if I'm wrong. But, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, the front three themselves are 
a tremendous threat to any team. And I mean, you could always say Mohamed Salah's the, the go-to guy. But like we say, this season, arguably, Sadio Mane's out Sean Salah, um, you know, with his performances. So obviously, yeah, I think, I, think, I, think, I think Burnley would fear Mo Salah naturally. I think they'd fear the front three naturally. I think they'll fear Trent Alexander-Arnold naturally. There's a lot of players that you can... I mean, Naby Keita is actually someone who performed really well, I think, in the, in the last game against Brighton. And um, his threat as a, as, a, as, a, as a midfielder from slightly deeper uh, behind the front three and making late runs and linking the play with the front three could mean that he could be quite effective if he gets a start. Um, so he might be one to watch. Um, I'd just say, to be honest, Burnley will go about the business in in the, in the natural Sean, Sean Dyche way, which is uh, focus on their own organisation, fo- focus on giving away minimal space to to players regardless of who they are because you know Burnley don't really show a, a prejudice towards anyone they always set up in the same kind of way would be very tough to beat hope that Nick Pope has a relatively uh, commanding game like he did against West Ham um, and as I say if that shape does break for whatever reason as I alluded to Nick Pope uh, in the goals against West Ham was excellent made probably two or three excellent saves uh, in that game when the, when the organisation was breached. So they'll back themselves to contain. I do think if Liverpool do score the first goal, it's going to be difficult for Burnley to respond. But, uh, you know, they'll back themselves to contain. And the longer the game goes on, the more confident, I guess, they'll feel. Definitely. And I mean, in terms of Mohamed Salah and, and the Golden Boots, obviously a player that he is coming up against, Danny Ings, is a, a player that you as a Burnley fan will know mm. very well, of course. He used to be a Burnley player before he moved to Liverpool. I mean, just a, a quick word on, on him as a, a slight aside, if you'd like. I mean, how well has, has he done this season? And Was it a, a shock for you or, or was it something that you've, you, you maybe saw coming? Oh, yeah, no, phenomenal player. I mean, when he went to Liverpool, I thought he was tailor-made for Jurgen Klopp's team. I thought um, his work rate is outstanding. It's as good as probably you'll see anywhere. Um, he's a, he, you know he constantly closes down the ball, leads the press, um, and also as as Burnley fans will know, and as, as obviously Southampton fans will know now, he's a he's a very clinical finisher in the final third. Um, so for me, when he went to Liverpool, I thought he would be perfect, as I say, for the for the Jurgen Klopp team. And do, I think there were moments actually, certainly uh, when he first arrived. Uh, I think he got the, the equaliser in the Merseyside derby. That was just before Klopp, I believe. But um, Brendan Rodgers' last well, game, yeah, yeah, Brendan Rodgers' last game. And uh, you know, he, there were moments where you so you, you could you could see that ability to to finish a ball. And I think I think he did play once or twice for young club. But the problem was. It wasn't necessarily the player himself. It was his injuries. I mean, you know, he, he could start for Jurgen Klopp, lead by example, do the high press, but then he might be out for a long period of time and it meant you couldn't really hang your hat on him. And I think that was really the biggest, um, you know, that, that's the, that was the only overriding frustration, really, was, was his injuries. Injuries aside, if he was always fully fit, I imagine he would have been you know, a, a relatively active squad player for Klopp because he, he he embodies what the Liverpool manager wants from his players. So the fact that he's now gone to Southampton and he's performing the way he is, uh, it doesn't surprise me. What surprises me, me, me maybe, or, well, in a, in a nice way, is that he's managed to stay injury-free for the first time in a long time and this is what he can do, this is what he can deliver. Um, you know, com- brilliant attitude, brilliant work rate, um, and also, you know, most importantly, a really, really good finisher. And you, you're seeing that um, quite regularly now, particularly away from home. I think 
was there someone told me a stat yesterday that I think he's got the most goals um of any player away from home in the league this season, which is interesting if true. Um I think he does have eleven goals, and I think you know, and that is that that is a, again a, a really remarkable stat in itself. But yeah, no, I'm not surprised. Really, really good player, really underrated, and it's a shame it didn't work out for him at Tamfield. And I suppose you, you mentioned Naby Keita as well before we spoke about mm-hmm. Danny Ings, another player who really has struggled with injuries. Seems to be putting mm-hmm. a, a little bit of a run together. I imagine he is exactly the kind of, of midfielder that Liverpool are going to have to use against Burnley because, as you say, Sean Dyche's formation and, and the way that he sets his team up is very defensive and, and very rigid. And I suppose that is exactly, well, in a way, it's almost a benefit for Liverpool that they know exactly what Burnley are going to do. Yeah, I mean, it's um, you, you're, you're spot on. I think they're going to have, uh, as we say, a rigid structure, a tight structure. And someone like Naby Keita can be that uh, spare man, I guess, um, from midfield, uh, probably more the more advanced of the of the eights, if he does play. Um, and you can imagine him trying to make one twos and late dashing runs uh, into the box, or making some uh, you know cute little passes uh, from just slightly deeper, as we say, because you, you're going to you know the general barom- the general barom- uh, barom- the general idea of how Liverpool play is that you've got the front three, but then they took inside Salah and Mane took inside, and then you've got Salah, and, uh, sorry, Alexander Arnold and Robertson providing attacking with um and they you know and obviously they do that so well but with Burnley in a four four two which is essentially at times you know it's a back six almost because the 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 wide midfielders are basically the fullbacks which allows the fullbacks to tuck in and you've got uh, a very very tight compact unit there that's very difficult to break down so again that could tra- potentially nullify some of the wide threat that Liverpool pose. But again, like we say, uh, it could, you know, uh, only a two in midfield for Burnley, um, two central midfielders, sorry. So that could, if Liverpool play that right, you know, with uh, a bit of flexibility uh, in the middle of the park and getting someone, giving someone like Naby to the licence to roam into that final third, then I think that could be uh, a way for them breaking down a very resilient Burnley side. Yeah, as you say, the, the, the wingers, I think, will have a crucial role. We saw with Aston Villa what they did with doubling up on Liverpool's fullbacks. Mm-hmm. I suppose that is something that, that Liverpool will have to find a, a way around. But I suppose, thinking more specifically about Burnley then, since the restart, they've drawn with Sheffield United and with Tottenham, beaten West Ham, Palace and Watford all by a goal to nil. And mm. lost only once against Manchester City, of course, mm. that 5-0 on that Monday night. Mm-hmm. Which Burnley are we most likely to see against Liverpool in this game? Is it the one that, that lost 5-0 to, to Man City or, or maybe not? Well, I mean, that the, the, it, was, it was quite the welcome back to uh, the season, really. I mean, within a day of, of Burnley kicking off their season, they lost 5-0 to Manchester City. There was the playing gate and there was internal club politics that suggested that Sean Dyche might be going elsewhere. So, I mean, if you were a Burnley fan, um, in terms of, uh, in terms of, I suppose if if Carlsberg didn't do uh, other beer brands are available, if Carlsberg didn't do uh, seasonal restarts, then um, you know it certainly it certainly would look like that is the nightmare situation. It was horrible, but um, yeah, I feel like Manchester City. I mean, they just um, annihilated Newcastle five uh, 0 as well. And they have the capacity to do that to a lot of teams. I mean, they beat Southampton, and I have no idea how. I mean, Southampton played. Uh, I mean, sorry, Southampton beat them, and I have no idea how. I mean, they played very well. 
Uh, do Southampton, of course, defended really well, but Manchester City could have had three goals. I mean, I don't know how they did, and they, you know, a phenomenal team that seemed to be able to find uh, locks to almost any duel. Uh, although you are right, I mean, in a sense that there was a resilience fr- from that game onwards, which surprised me, given that all was all that was going on in the background. You know, it, it um, panders to the professionalism. It shows the professionalism of the unit, the squad, and all the players that they managed to brush off all of these exterior issues, um, and they managed to and they managed to get on with the football. And they, you know, they've done really well in going back to being a solid unit and whatnot. And obviously, as you say, since the City game, there hasn't been um, a loss in the a, a loss in the Premier League. It's, it's been good. Um, I think you're more likely to see the team of, of present the team right now. Um, because, you know, there is a momentum building, um, you know, there's been a bit of football played now, the the players are in a good frame of mind, a good good mindset, Um, and the the Man City performance wasn't good at all, really, it was, as I say, it looked looked unfocused, it looked distracted, it looked like there were higher, there were other issues going on at the time that that were causing a bit of a, a stir, if you will. Uh, I'm talking about more about the contractual issues there, and now all of that's kind of been resolved. Um, maybe not. They'll, they'll be sad to have lost Jeff Henry, but they got Phil Barsley on, and, and you know that's sort of out of the window now. They know what they're working with. Um, I think, yeah, I think it'll be. I think they'll put up a decent fight against Liverpool. If you, I mean, I, I don't expect Burnley to beat Liverpool before you, you know, you, you, you say you throw that one at me, but I do think that it'll be a lot more resilient than the team that sort of easily went under against Manchester City at the start of this restart. And thinking about the reverse fixture as well at, at Turf Moor, Liverpool won 3-0 on that occasion. It seems, well, it, it is absolutely months ago now, but it, it seems mm. like an awfully long time ago. Trent Alexander-Arnold, that cross that flew into the, the top corner, Sadio yep. Mane made it 2-0 and, and then Firmino with a, a nice finish late on to seal it. I mean, it's a, a similar question to the last one, really, but I mean, do you see the game going a similar way where Liverpool have a lot of the possession and it's just a case of, you know, if and, and when they can, can score potentially? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hard one really because Burnley have, a, have had a habit really, uh, in, particularly this season and uh, sort of recently really. In the big games, there is a tendency that when they go one or two down, it can, you know, get a little bit, uh, as, as though actually, you know, we put a lot of effort into these games, a lot of energy. Shall we give this? Shall we throw this one in and focus on the next one? We have had that feeling a few times. Not not necessarily of late. Manchester City was the one. I mean, Tottenham at five nil uh, in in December. Obviously, Liverpool three nil was a poor performance. Liverpool, uh, Chelsea four one uh, four yeah four one I think at uh, at Turf Moor as well uh manchester city 4-1 at turf moor so th- there is a there is a tendency for these games to go a little bit um you know the, the score has to get a little bit extravagant uh and i do think that sometimes there is a mentality shift when the first goal or two goes in against your so-called big sides it's almost as if the players are thinking right you know we, as i say we put we put lots of energy into every game but sometimes we need to you know Tone it down a bit because you know what are the chances of us getting something in this game? Let's focus on the next game, and I do think that happens sometimes from time to time, particularly you know uh, this season. But you can counter that by saying against Arsenal, uh, a goalless draw where you know 
it was a really unlucky performance that probably should have beaten uh, the Gunners at Turf Moor in February. And, um, you know, uh, and Tottenham as well was a 1-1 and that was an unlucky performance as well. But I feel like it, it, it attributes to the first goal. I think if you're a big team, you get the first goal against Burnley, then you've got the opportunity to get to three and, and so on. If you don't, and Burnley sense that they've got a chance in the game, then I do feel like it's going to be very difficult for that team, whoever it is. Uh, I would. Have, I still think Liverpool will win. I think they've got lots of quality. I think they've got some some sort of goals to goals to grind with it with the idea of the uh, points record. But you know, I mean, the, you could say which Burnley will turn up. I mean, which Liverpool will turn up? The one against Aston Villa really was very fortunate to come away with a two 0 win, and that was a relegation threat. That was a relegation threat, Aston Villa. So obviously they had a bit more of a point, a bit more of a motive to get the points. But Liverpool were really, and I know this because my fantasy team captain didn't do very well in that day, uh, Liverpool were very um, sluggish and almost uh, anticipated that they'd just go, turn up and win the game. And, and obviously that's not how it works. Obviously there's a point that they've won the league, so you can expect that a little bit. But, you know, uh, I think it was a better performance against Brighton, to be fair. I mean, a lot more creative. And Mo Salah looked very, very uh, good against Brighton. So while it's a case of what Burnley team will turn up, I'm hopeful the one that's going to be competitive, and the, the one of late that, that, that challenges most teams, um, you know, in, to a game of football. Or um, is it going to be, you know, this, you, could, you could apply the same with Liverpool. Is it going to be a Liverpool who's on the beaches? And if it wasn't for um, some slightly iffy finishing from Aston Villa, could have lost you know, that, that the uh, game after they won the title at Anfield? Or will it be the one that played against Brighton that, you know, capitalised on some errors from, from their opponents and really could have won that game five or, you know, got, got more goals, particularly Salah, who missed out on his hat-trick towards the end. Behind Enemy Lines on the Blood Red Channel. I think it's worth mentioning as well in, in that reverse fixture. That was the game, of course, when Sadio Mane was furious with Mohamed Salah for not passing. And we've mentioned the, the golden boot a couple of times. I mean, it's kind of ironic almost given how selfish uh, Mohamed Salah was at times against Brighton. I mean, something like that. I mean, I, I just wonder what your thoughts from you know outside of, of Liverpool looking in. What, what did you make of, of the incident at the time? And, and then sort of how that selfishness almost resurfaced at, at Brighton. I mean, for me personally, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I suppose there is a way that you might see it that way. I suppose it depends who you captain on your fantasy Premier League, to be honest, because if I captain Mo Salah, I would certainly be asking him to go for goal himself. Um, but I think it's more of a... Yeah, I, I think you could see it both ways, really. Um, you know, t- ultimately, I feel like the team does come first in most situations and always should do. Um, yeah, as you say, it doesn't really matter uh, as a Liverpool fan who scores the goal so long as they are scored. Um, but I do think that... Uh, yeah, it, it, right now, actually, I mean, we say Salah's been shooting quite a lot against Brighton. Uh, to be honest, right now, I don't mind that because one of the personal goals right now for Liverpool, they've won the league, they obviously get the points total, that's up there. But also for Mo Salah, personally, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't be chasing that golden boot down, you know, uh, hell for leather because, the, the, as I said, the goals now for Liverpool are a little bit minimal. They've they've done the hard, they've done the the big overriding goal. They've achieved that. So now they're looking for the little ones, the little um, um, the the cherries on the top of the cake, if you will. But yeah, no. If you remember, if we go back even to then, uh, I'd say to be honest, it's more of a. I feel like it's a problem 
if it's always constant all the time, and I mean, this is a front three that interlinks so much, uh, that caused so many teams so many problems, it, it shouldn't really be too much of a problem. But, you know, I, if, it, if, if, if there's sensibility with it, if there, if there is a common sense approach into, right, you know, obviously we all want to score goals, but when the other teammate is more available... Uh, for a bet, for a bet, high probability of scoring, we look for them. I think it always comes to common sense. You can't be ball greedy f- and forget about the team all the time. You can do it right now because the goals are minimal and you want to chase those accolades. Yes, on the grand scheme of things, you can't do that every game because if you do do that every game and you put you know selfishness before team, it's gonna it's gonna cost you in some games. And in that game, it didn't necessarily. Uh, it was obviously a three 0 It was a whitewash, um, but just to just to play devil's advocate to the thing that I've just said, uh, of course you do need a bit of selfishness to be up there with the best in the world. Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo is an incredibly selfish footballer, and he's also one of the best, in the, or has been the best in the world, or one of the best two in the world for a long time. Uh, maybe not quite now, but for a long period of time he was. Um, so it's about getting, it's about having that selfishness, I think, but also the common sense to know. That even though you can be selfish, even though you know you're a superstar and you and you want to always get the goals and always get the assists, you got to remember that you're a part of something bigger. And of course, at Liverpool, um, you know uh, that is quite a big a big project to be a part of, and uh, you should never lose sight of that. I don't think. And I suppose one of the other individual accolades is in goal. Alisson chasing the, the Golden Glove. It was Adrian at Turf Moor who kept a clean sheet, but Alisson mm. will be in goal for Liverpool against Burnley at Anfield. Only Nick Pope of Burnley mm-hmm. has more clean sheets than Alisson uh, this season so far. Alisson, of course, missed a significant chunk through through injuries and, and suspensions. But I suppose that just shows the big task that Liverpool have got because, you know, 14 clean sheets, I think it is, for, for Nick Pope. That's mm-hmm. incredibly, incredibly impressive. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's a very good goalkeeper. And if it wasn't for his um, kicking abilities, which are probably rank in the bottom you know, in, in, near the bottom of the of the Premier League goalkeeping table, in ter- you know, in terms of his kicking and his distribution, it's quite poor. But if it wasn't for that, I think he'd be a shoe in really almost for England number one jersey. It's um, it's you know, it it's hard because obviously right now uh, goalkeeping has taken on a new level where distribution is so important. I mean, Liverpool embody that with Allison, who's a fantastic distributor of the ball. Manchester City have Edison, who's basically a midfielder in goal because he's so good with his with his uh, with his distribution. And all you know, all the top clubs now ask the goalkeepers to be good with the feet. Leno at Arsenal has you know has to be good with his feet. Uh, that's why Jordan Pickford obviously is in the team because he is very good at kicking the ball and he's a very good distributor of the ball. Um, but you know, from a from a just a genuine you know, overall perspective, you know, Nick Pope commands his area brilliantly. He's a good, he's got a very big body frame, which means he can get his way body in the way of lots of shots. Um, and he's a and he's a calming presence at the back. You know, I mean, I talk about having being a goalkeeper of a smaller team. You it means you probably have less responsibility. Your defenders can sweep up danger and whatnot. But and to be fair, Burnley do do that. But the, the amount of times that Nick Pope comes to claim crosses where his defenders could get it, and he takes the pressure off coming, you know, 12 yards off his line to grab the ball with ease or, uh, you know, picking out, you know, coming out to smother the danger or whatnot. He, he's very, very good at commanding his box. And that responsibility, you know, is reflective of a, of a top goalkeeper. The only thing that's not, as I say, is 
his kicking, which is very subpar in the modern game where it's so important. I mean, Petr Cech was one of the best goalkeepers uh, in the world for a long period of time. But as we transitioned football, as football transitioned into a more passing orientated game, I think he got phased out almost. It looked, it looked like a fish out of water at Arsenal at times, trying to play these extravagant passes. So Nick Pope probably is, I think, uh, a victim of the of the of the progression of of the way football's progressed over the recent years. I believe, and I hope he gets the golden boot. Obviously, uh, the golden glove, of course, rather than the golden. Sorry, boot. yeah, that, no, no, I want him to get both. I want him to get both. <laughs> that would be a big task. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the uh, the other Burnley players that I think has has stood out this season is is Dwight McNeil, a player that I really really like. I mean, yeah. for anybody who's maybe not seen as as much of him as as what you will have done. I mean. I suppose he's one of those players where you, you just forget how young he is sometimes because he just looks so accomplished. Oh, he's so good, isn't he? I mean, he's he's just he's a, he's in he's he's poetry in motion to watch. Um, when he's on the ball, he is um, he's he's excellent and he's so confident. I think he gave Trent Alexander-Arnold a really tough time uh, in the in the fixture last season. He, um, you know supposedly the best right back in the league and and McNeil was absolutely not faced at all he running at him dribbling getting round and putting crosses into the box and he really is a, a very I mean one of my uh, good friends Zach Lowy on Twitter actually he's um, he's studied McNeil and he suggests that he might be a, a left back in the future uh, which is an interesting train of thought, not something I'd actually thought of. But there is there is a point in that actually. He's very very left footed, and he sort of excels when he's just delivering balls into the box, almost sim- on a similar kind of pathway, I suppose, to Trent Alexander Arnold. And his composure on the ball is remarkable for for a person of his age. He is, you know, mature beyond his years. So so confident and also very humble. As in, he will track back. He will do the the defensive work because if he didn't do that, he wouldn't be in the team. That's how Sean Dyche operates. It's work great first, and then if you've got the quality that matches uh, the quality that's that, that's desired, sorry, then 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 great. But for, you've got to um, you've got to pass the, the the work rate test first of all, and he absolutely does that. So, yeah, a really humble player with an Im- immense level of potential. Um, I, I suppose for, from his point of view. I mean, you could say, well, maybe he should work on his right foot, but Arya Robin made a career of having one, you know, everyone knew what Arya Robin would do every time he came in on his left foot. And 90% of the time, it was the same result, which was the ball was in the back of the net. It's a very different player, of course. But uh, if you're, a, you know, if it's better to be, I suppose, a master of one trade than than uh, being good at, at, at several at several. No, the, the, you know, you know, I can't remember the quote, but you know what I mean. It's, um, it's because you know, and and what he does, uh, essentially on that left hand side, is excellent at the moment. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he if he did morph into a left back at a bigger club. Actually, I've always I think that's a very fascinating point that Zach made. Um, but you know, I think certainly a danger man for uh, for the Liverpool people to think about going forward. Yeah, he can carry the ball forward. He's a, he's the best, one of the best passers in the team. Uh, his vision's excellent. Um, so yeah, if I were Liverpool, he'd be my danger man. Uh, also, just a little note on on, on uh, Josh Brownhill and Ashley Westwood, who are also capable of picking passes in that midfield as well. Um, you know, a, a very accomplished passes the two of them themselves. But uh, yeah, no, you, you're absolutely right to point out McNeil, who is uh, for me Burnley's best player uh, overall, maybe with Tarkovsky um, 
you know, maybe with Pope, but but certainly for ceiling, he's, he's higher than any of the Burnley players and he will go on to achieve some uh, really good things, I think. Yeah, lots of, of clubs have been linked with him. Everton, of course, being one of them, another team that, that we at the Liverpool Echo, of course, cover. And I mean, do you expect him to, to stay at Burnley for, for a few more seasons? And, and if and when he does leave, where do you imagine he might go? Well, it's interesting you say Everton because I've already I said this before these links even appeared. I thought it'd be a shoe in for uh, for Everton, and uh, certain Everton fans did agree with me at the time. Um, and they they probably been that opinion's probably been reinforced now. He is, um, you know, it, he's also been linked with Manchester City, and you know, to be honest, you watch his game and you think actually. You know, what will Pep Guardiola do with that? I mean, he's got the technical uh, brilliance to succeed at a club like City. The problem with that, though, is, what, you know, he'd probably only be he'd probably only be starting maybe one in, if he's lucky, one in five or one in six matches because such is the, um, you know, the, the talent at, at Guardiola's disposal. But when you look at a club like Everton, you know, under Carlo Ancelotti, uh, they're in need of a, they're in need of a bit of a rejig, I think, a, a resurgence. Uh, but but they will have aspirations for you know really good things. They'll 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 think they can get into Europa League spots. They'll have a vague ambition as many times as they always generally do to try and get to the Champions League. They they, they are a, they are a very big club. Um, with with uh, with very high ambitions, and I, th- I think if he did go to Everton, I think he'd be, you know, it'd be a really really good signing. I, mean, we, I was talking about left back before. That's maybe a lot a while down the line. It certainly is a wide player. He's excellent, and when you go into um, when you go to Everton, a club really that's lacking, I think, a little bit in genuinely uh, good level wide players or top level wide players. I feel like McNeil could really come into come come into his own there. It's a four-four-two system that they play now, uh, so that's similar to that of Burnley. Um, they've not got two consistent wingers who play every week, as I say on the side. So again, there's option. There's an option for McNeil to just go in there and and make and stake a claim to be in that starting eleven at, at a big club like Everton. Um, and I do think he'd do really well. I think uh, it would be exciting to see McNeil linking up with Richarlison and, and the like, likes of Richarlison, Calvert Lewin, and Andre Gomez and. Uh, yeah, I, if I were Everton, I'd be very much looking. I know the, there are links there, but I'd be very keen on the prospect of, 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 of signing McNeil. Of course, I don't want him to go for another twelve months because you know that's the you know that I'd, you know particularly now with the recession that we're in, you imagine that clubs have a bit less money to spend, and, and I know Burnley's been quite vocal about having less money around. So there's the, there's the, there's the potential for him to leave for a quieter. A disrespectful sum of money, I imagine, and so uh, I'd rather wait for another twelve months, let the football market and the world market get back on track, um, and let McNeil play uh, strutted stuff again a bit more in Claret and Blue, because you know, yeah, these talents don't come around very often. Also, a local talent, uh, and then and then you know, you sort of have to, you know, give him your blessing that um, as, as a Burnley fan or as a, or, or as a, anyone associated with the club, you've got to give him your blessing because he is eventually he's going to have to you know fly the nest certainly a player for for Liverpool to watch out for and 
We will uh, see how Trent Alexander-Arnold gets on against him this time around. But, I mean, that's all we have time for this morning mm-hmm. as the build-up to the game continues. Hopefully, that's given the listeners a little bit more background on the team that the Reds will face this afternoon. Thanks very much to, to Johnny for joining me. I mean, the, yep, the no final question I'll throw your way is to ask for a score prediction. I'm going to yeah. go for, for 1-0 to Liverpool, courtesy of a Mohamed Salah goal. But what are you mm. going to go for? I was actually going to go for 2-0 Liverpool um, because, I mean, that's quite weird that I'm outdoing the Liverpool fan on this one. But I do think that there is, a just on, just to summarise that thought before anyone bites my head off from a Burnley perspective, there's only so long I think you can really go as a club outside the traditional top six, seven. Momentum always builds and goes at different points in the season and that's just the reality of it. And Burnley have been doing remarkably well to respond from the adversity of the 5-0 defeat against Manchester City but realistically can that go on forever it's a lot of effort that these boys are putting in there's a few injuries to contend with uh, it's a very skeletal squad um, and I do think that that might wear thin a little bit against Liverpool if they get the first goal I think they'll probably get another one uh, as well yeah I'll go 2-0 Liverpool but I hope I'm wrong Well, we will see how it pans out. And no matter the outcome, you'll be able to follow it all across the Liverpool Echo. Paul Wheelock will also be back with the post-game podcast in the aftermath of The Clash, while I'll be live on YouTube with Theo Squires immediately after the full-time whistle blows for all of your post-match reaction and analysis. For now, though, thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day. And we will be back on the Blood Red channel very soon indeed. You've been listening to the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel.